You have reached Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey, a ministry and podcast of the Discover Young Adults Ministry at the Preston Crest Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. We meet at 945 on Sunday mornings, and we have small groups all throughout the week. We are located at Preston Road and Highway 635 in North Dallas. My name is Jacob Hawk. I'm the Young Adults Minister and the host of this podcast. It doesn't matter if you are single, dating, if you want to be dating, if you're married, if you want to be married, or if you're divorced, or if you're trying to figure out at what stage of life you are passing through. At the Discover Young Adults Ministry, we want to help you discover life, discover love, and discover the Lord. If I can help you or serve you in any way, or if I can pray for you, please email me at jacob at pressandcrest.org. I am glad that you're joining us today for our last episode in this series on evangelism. And today we are going to be talking about evangelism in our city. And regardless of where you are listening to this, if you're in Dallas-Fort Worth or another part of the United States, or even some people who've been listening from Canada, wherever you are, hopefully you and your church are concerned about how to reach out to your community. And today I've asked a good friend of mine, Steve Clover, who is the preaching minister over at the Southside Church Christ in Fort Worth, to come on and talk about this topic. Uh, the Southside Church is known for being a church that very seriously takes the responsibility of being involved in their community. And much of that is to be attributed to uh, Steve. He's been there for many years and studied this in his doctoral work and has been very instrumental in helping Southside become a church of their city. And so, Steve, I am glad that you are with us today. Jacob, it's good to be with you. Steve, why don't you tell us a little bit about your family and your ministry before we get into our conversation? Sure. Uh, I grew up in Searcy, Arkansas, went to Harding University and then Harding School of Theology and graduated from there in 2006. I got married in 2002 to uh, Lindsay. And we have uh, three kids, all born here in Fort Worth. We moved here in uh, 2006 when I became the preacher here at Southside. Um, I also uh, got my doctorate of ministry degree in 2015 from uh, Luther Seminary. Um, but my three kids, Joshua, Bethany, and Lydia, uh, 14, 11, and 9. And uh, so they're, they're a wonderful Wonderful family, and I'm very proud of them. I can't believe it's been five years since you finished your doctorate. Does it feel like that to you? Well, in some ways, uh, yes. Some ways, no. It doesn't seem that too long ago, but right now I feel like a year ago seems a whole long time ago. (laughs) Right. So I've got to ask, since I'm working on my doctorate right now, the time go quicker while you're working on your doctorate or once it was over? Uh, That's a good question. Um, you know, I guess it was all about the same. Okay. Except when he got to the dissertation part, it, it, it kind of strung out a little bit. Yeah, that, that came to a screeching halt. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, Steve, we're glad that you're with us today. And like I mentioned at the beginning, uh, anyone who knows about Southside and particularly your ministry knows about the transformation of that church. Um, Southside has always had a wonderful history. And I guess during your tenure there, it's become a little bit more focused 
on the community. And so I wanted you to talk with us a little bit about how that worked. And we've had this conversation before in other venues and other platforms, but I'm glad that we can continue the conversation today. So as we begin, tell us a little bit about the history of the Southside Church there in Fort Worth. Yeah, sure. Um, so Southside started actually in 1892, started almost 130 years ago. It was it was a church plant from the first Christian church uh, downtown that there was kind of a new suburb that was starting to develop kind of on the south side of Fort Worth. And so they decided to, to plant a church uh, here and called it Southside Church of Christ. Um, the, the congregation uh, has has shifted where it's uh, met, but it's always it's always been on the near south side of Fort Worth. Um, for a while, it was a little bit closer to downtown, and then the building in which we're in now was built in 1959. Southside has has also um, kind of had a kind of a I don't know exactly the way to describe it, maybe kind of a ritzy uh, feel to it. Um, if you come to our building, you definitely can see that because it's got it's not the typical Church of Christ building. It's got a big steeple on top. It's got big pillars and columns in front. Uh, they're kind of nice chandeliers uh, in the auditorium and in the foyer. In fact, my father-in-law, who was a college student uh, at Oklahoma Christian in the 1960s, he was on a debate team that came down to TCU in Fort Worth, and it was over Wednesday night, and so they were going to go to Wednesday night Bible class, and they they all decided they wanted to come to the Southside Church for Wednesday night Bible class because they wanted to see the chandeliers. They had heard about this <laughs> this fancy new building and they wanted to come and, and see that. And so that, that's just a little bit of, of the background that, that there is kind of been this, this fancy uh, part to, to Southside. And um, so that the, the building was built in 1959 and, and, and like uh, most urban churches, you know, as the sixties uh, turned over to the seventies and then eighties, there started to be a lot of urban decline and and so the neighborhood around the building changed. It was kind of a kind of a, a ritzy area, but then it it shifted to be become more of a, a lower income area. The, the demographics changed in various ways, and so uh, the church was really faced with a little bit of an identity crisis of okay, like how do we want to manage the surrounding neighborhood, um, or do we want to do we want to try to move out to where? to where uh, our population, our, our membership is moving to. All right. That's fascinating. And I learn new things about this every time I talk to you. I did not know that it had been around since 1892. Yes. And when you said it was a church plan, I was waiting for you to say a church plan of the Apostle Paul. I mean, that goes <laughs> that goes way back. And uh, the building was built in 59. And you're exactly right. In an era, in a time when churches of Christ as a general rule I don't mean any disrespect, but they did not build nice, fancy buildings. I right. Mean, sure. Kind of the rule in Texas as you're going through small West Texas or Central Texas towns is the best way to find the Church of Christ is look for the ugliest building off the main street. That's how you find yeah. <laughs> that's how you find the Church of Christ. So Southside, um, fascinating case study of a church that has always had a rich history, but has certainly been the church of the neighborhood as the neighborhood has changed drastically in the last 100 years. Um, for those yeah. who are not familiar with Fort Worth and 
watch uh, professional golf, you're just around the corner from where the uh, colonial golf tournaments always played. So it's a unique part of Fort Worth. What were you going to say? Yeah, you know, I was going to add to that one one other piece of history that's interesting to to Southside is that a lot of key uh, city leaders, um, especially at the beginning part of Southside's history, were a part of Southside. In fact, you know, one of the you know main founders of Fort Worth uh, is the Van Zant family, and one of the Van Zant brothers was an elder at Southside. Uh, the Colonel John Peter Smith, who has the namesake of of JPS Hospital or John Peter Smith Hospital, he attended Southside. Um, and so there, there's a lot of uh, city uh, leaders. And um, also there was a, uh, a, a very famous downtown department store called Leonard's. And that actually had its own subway, underground subway, uh, which was kind of a, a unique thing. Uh, but uh, the Leonard's attended Southside. So there's, there's been kind of this, this um, uh, I don't know how you want to describe it, but just there's been a, a sense that this church is, is a critical part of the city. And I think that also goes into, hey, we want this to be a really nice building um, and that kind of thing that's a part of the history. And the Clowers attended Southside, so that makes it even more <laughs> prestigious. <laughs> I don't think anybody's going to remember that. Okay, okay. I think they will. Um all right, so you've answered this a little bit, but the, the neighborhood changed, um, and you can still drive down the streets of downtown Fort Worth. It's a neat area, and on one side of the street, you can see million-dollar homes, and on the other side of the street, you can see places that are impoverished. Um, so what led to Southside being so intentional about outreach to the community? Well, three, three things, Jacob. Um, number one was a decision that the that the elders made. This was probably in the late 80s um, that, the, that the elders made this decision. That was that they were going to stay in the neighborhood. So they were you know, contemplating um, there's, there's new housing developments being built south and west of Fort Worth. Maybe we should move out there like other churches have done because typically churches follow real estate developers. And, uh, and so there's a temptation, should we, should we do that? And the elders said, no, we're, we're going to, we're committed to this neighborhood. We're a part of this neighborhood. We're going to stay. Well, that meant trying to learn how do we minister to the neighborhood. If we're going to stay, we need to figure out how to learn and minister to the neighborhood. And so it was around that time that we started uh, our, our food pantry outreach. It was one of the first things that the church did to really try to engage its neighbors. And that ministry is is still going on. In fact, during the the pandemic, I mean, I think they closed down one week to kind of reorganize, but they've been going solid through the pandemic, um, just serving neighbors food and, and that kind of thing. So that was the first thing, that decision to stay. The second thing that happened was in the 90s, there was a, a church split and the split was over worship issues and things of that nature, probably also some personality clashes. But one of the things that came out of that split was that the church kind of realized we're, we're a little bit too inwardly focused because when a church gets inwardly focused, that's often when there can be uh, arguments and factions, mm -hmm. things of that nature. So the the leaders realized we, we really need to become outwardly focused. We need we, we also need to become a little bit more grace filled for one another, but we also need to be more outwardly focused because 
uh, when we're focused on the mission that God has called us to, that that actually helps us to be more unified. And so that was the second big thing. And the third big thing was that right around that time, um, across the street from the church building at the time was a program by the Salvation Army for women and single women, single mothers and their children. And one of those women uh, walked across the street one Sunday morning and came to church at Southside. She walked in, she walked into one of the adult Bible classes. Uh, she took out her pack of cigarettes, threw it down on the coffee table and pointed at the Bible and said, okay, tell me what this book has to say about what I'm going through in my life. And, and you want to shake up a, a Bible class. I mean, that's how you shake up a Bible class. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and at the, the church realized, wow, there's, there's a lot of people right across the street, a lot of, a lot of mothers and children who really need the Lord Jesus. And so instead of us hunkering down into our little holy huddle here, why don't we, why don't we go across the street and why don't we invite them to come to our church? Maybe we can minister to them in some way. And so the church started getting involved in the Salvation Army program and kind of out of that spun our hope ministry, which stands for heavenly options for pain and emptiness, uh, which is our addiction recovery, um, ministry, but, but it was more, it was more than just the starting of a ministry. It was really the changing of a church. It was a church realizing, wow, there's people right outside of our building, literally right outside of our building that need the gospel and, and we can, we can love them. We can share it with them. We can reach out to them. And so that really started the church down this, this track kind of moving away from, from, you know, trying to be this really upscale church to really being a church that's that's welcoming and that's loving and that's reaching out to the to the broken. Absolutely. A couple of things I heard in there that I think is fascinating. Um, going back to what you said about the elders in the 80s and their intentional decision to stay where they had been and to remain there. Um, we've had this conversation before you and I have individually, and I know you're not against church planting uh, but there's a difference between church planting because there isn't a church in a certain area. And then like what you said, following a real estate development, um, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of churches have the vision to see that, okay, a certain part of the Metroplex is growing. And as of now, there is not a church in that part of the Metroplex. So we need to plant a church there, but that's different than saying, okay, well, our neighborhood's not as flashy as it used to be. So let's go to a flashier place. Yeah. And I really appreciate <clears throat> what you said about the elders there. If we're part of this neighborhood. We have to remain part of this neighborhood. And also what you said about realizing, okay, there is a ministry already across the street. And rather than being in direct competition too, let's come alongside of and see how we can work together to lead people to truth. Mm-hmm. And that's also very encouraging. And I think we would both agree, at least for Churches of Christ, that's that's a pretty radical move to come alongside the Salvation Army and and work with them rather than work against them, um, yeah. leading people to truth. Right. So what does a normal Sunday look at Southside? Because I know we've we've talked about this before that you have millionaires and then you have those that are benefiting from the food pantry. So yeah, talk with us about a normal Sunday at Southside. Well, that that's kind of a, a, a difficult question, Jacob, right now because <laughs> <laughs> pre-COVID, because our, talk about a normal yeah, Sunday pre-COVID. Pandemic. 
our our services look so different now. But yeah, before the pandemic, um, yes, on on a given Sunday, um, we would have um, there would be diversity. There would be uh, white, black, Hispanic, Africans, Asians, um, sometimes Middle Easterners. Uh, just, you know, a variety of, of folks. Um, we would have people who maybe just recently got out of prison um, who would be, you know, be putting their life back together. Um, we would also be having business owners and lawyers and doctors and people who have, you know, at least from the external trappings of, of how people perceive them, have their life together. Um, there would also be people who are deaf and blind and uh, lame who would be there, people who are living outdoors as we would call them or, or who are dealing with homelessness. So it would be, it would be a, a wide swath of humanity that normally would, would be present at Southside. And, and um, you know, I like to describe it this way is several years ago, it's probably maybe four or five years ago, maybe I was greeting in our front foyer as people were coming in and and first uh, a first person that came in was a TCU student um, who had brought her boyfriend and her boyfriend was a football player who had just signed a, a, a free agent contract with the Dallas Cowboys and they came in and they, they they come to worship and then and then right after that the next person who walks in is uh, a gentleman who's right down the street and he tells me he has just gotten out of prison uh, just a few days ago. Did yeah, he used to be on the Cowboys? <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, okay. But, but just... he's coming to church. And so, and so I, I've said that before that, you know, okay, that's that's a snapshot of our church. It's where pro athletes and ex-cons can come and worship together. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's kind of a unique thing. That is a unique thing. And that's a biblical thing. When we read the book of Galatians – uh, do you think they were a little bit diverse between the, the makeup of Jews and Gentiles and the book of Galatians? Of course they were. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And and that's not to say that churches that don't have diversity are wrong. Sometimes that's just kind of how the dominoes fall, depending on where you are in the country. Um, mm-hmm. But in a place like Fort Worth, particularly the south side of Fort Worth, and in a place like Dallas – there needs to be diversity because that's the makeup of the Metroplex right. is diversity. And so that's, that's encouraging. So you've been there since 2006. Um, so, wow, that's 15 years now that you've been at Southside. That's a quite a run. Um, let's talk a little bit kind of personally, what do you think have been some of the greatest successes in the last 15 years and, Maybe some things, I don't want to call them failures, but things that weren't so successful. Yeah, sure. Um, um, I'll, I'll, there's a couple of things that come to mind. First of all, I will say um, uh, the diversity that I mentioned, um, I, I think that is a success to, to, well, let me put it this way. I think it's our greatest asset. It has been our greatest asset, but also our greatest challenge. And so on, on one level, I mean, it's it's been awesome to see Southside grow into a place where 
where people of many different backgrounds can come and actually feel comfortable and be a part of the family. Um, we don't do that. We don't do it perfectly. I mean, we still, we still are, um, a predominantly white middle class church, but but there is there is more diversity than than is maybe a typical typical, and and it's been it's been awesome to see that to where, um, you know where you can have someone who's living outdoors and someone who's a a business owner share communion together, or, or you can uh, watch as someone who's uh, just got their GED or someone who's got a doctor degree, you know reading scripture together. Uh, I mean, that's, that's really uh, a unique thing at the same time. Diversity brings a lot of challenges because um, we're not used to diversity. Diversity takes a lot of emotional energy um, because of that. So to be around people that look differently than you or that have a different economic class than you, it just, uh, we all have different cultural assumptions that we're bringing to the table. And so it, it can be kind of exhausting. And, and frankly, we've had some people who, who just, they just couldn't handle it. They just kind of had to move on to another church because, uh, it just, it was just too exhausting to, you know, to, to be around, uh, such an eclectic, uh, group of folks. So that's been kind of a, kind of a challenge, um, I would say. Um, and that's been, been frustrating, uh, to see that. Um, the second thing I would say is, you know, in terms of success, uh, seeing life change. I mean, seeing people who, you know, where their lives are being turned around. I mean, literally turned around in dramatic ways. Um, I'll tell one story. So there was, there was a gentleman who, um, passed away during the pandemic. He had, um, bout with cancer, but he had, he had been in a, uh, a halfway house after prison. And, and we were ministering in that halfway house. He started coming to our church through that ministry. He was baptized at our church. He got out of the halfway house. He, he got into kind of a, uh, a transitional living program, cont- continued to come to our church, uh, starting to going to uh, recovery meetings. And it, it was just really putting the pieces of his life back together until, you know, he, cancer got got him well at his at his funeral uh you know a couple of his family members came and they didn't really uh most of them didn't really know him because what they knew of him was all of the the bad part of his life and they had kind of disconnected and so you know we had this memorial service and people from our church was was sharing you know here's what we saw happening in his life here's what he was doing here's where his hopes and dreams how he was putting the pieces back of his life together through Jesus. And, and they were just, they were just being blown away hearing this. Well, at the end of that memorial service, uh, this one gentleman stands up and he says, I want to say something. And, uh, he said, I, I, the, the, the gentleman who had, who had passed away, his name was Troy. This other gentleman stands up and says, I am Troy's son. And, and Troy had given him up for adoption because Troy at that time in his life was in no fit to be his father. And, and he said, you know, I was raised in a Christian home, but I, I wanted, I wanted to meet my father. I wanted mm. to connect with my birth father. Mm. And so he said, I've been, I've been searching for him. And he said, I, about two weeks ago, two weeks ago, I found Troy. 
And I was able to, to connect with him. I was able to learn about him. And I was able to see that he had faith in Jesus and that his life was being turned around. And he said, I just want to let everybody know that I am at such peace knowing now who my father was and how God had transformed him. Mm. And, and, and so I was thinking, I mean, that, that is why we do what we do. We it are is. ministers of reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And, and so whenever we've been able to witness stories like that of, of life change, um, uh, that, that's been awesome to see the power of God. Oh man. Yeah. I have chills watching you tell that story. I'm getting to watch Steve's face tell the story. Y'all are having to listen to it through audio, but I wish you could see uh, the expression on his face. What a beautiful story. And uh, that that's a blessing of God because of intentional change in a church. And so, man, to God be the glory on that. Amen. Um, I think you've kind of already answered this, so I'll rephrase it. Um, kind of the most challenging thing about leading a church through a time of transition, I can only imagine how frustrating that can be too. So I didn't give you this question, but you're Dr. Steve Clover, you can handle it. Um, <laughs> how do you patiently and lovingly and with a shepherd mindset still minister to people when they're frustrating you about making changes that you know and the leadership of Southside knows are good changes. Yeah. Um, well, uh, you know, are, are you talking about, let me ask you this. Are you talking more about during the pandemic, kind of the, the, the transitions and challenges of pandemic or just, just in general? Just in general, the transformation Southside has gone through in 15 years. I mean, the pandemic is a whole nother set of challenges, yeah. um, but taking a church literally from A to Z and staying there, I mean, you could have run off and found another job. You're very talented, but you've chosen to stay. Um, you know, how do you do that lovingly and with humility, but also with a strong enough personality to, to keep pushing for what you know is the right thing. I, I think the the critical thing is keeping the mission central, mm-hmm. um, keeping the mission of God central. I, I've tried to do a lot of preaching on the mission of God to where we understand as a church where we are situated in God's story, that God has called us at this time and in this place to be the presence of God here among this neighborhood. I think keeping that central is very important because it's so, so easy to get off of that. Um, and when we get off of that, you know, we can start to very quickly think, think consumeristically to think about, um, you know, what is it that I want out of church? What are the expectations that I want from this uh, body of believers as opposed to thinking about what has God called me to through and with this group of believers? And so I think that that shift, that tension is, is really difficult and trying to help keep people focused on that is, is, is the challenge. And it, and, and sometimes people are like, you know, I just, I just, you know, I can't do that for right now. And, and, and we all understand that. Um, but but that's been the focus is, okay, let's let's stay focused on the mission. Maybe one example of that was uh, a few years ago, we were we were starting to reach out to this 
this one halfway house and uh and we were bringing some of the guys from the halfway house to our worship service and there was a couple of people that started to get concerned about safety and there's you know getting worried about okay these are people who you know were in prison not too long ago and and now they're getting out we're bringing them to our worship services what about our children what about our families and and certainly that is that is a concern i mean you have to have proper boundaries you have to have a team in place you know we had to talk through all of that um but at one of the meetings um as we were talking through all that um there was a couple people who kept kept bringing up the concerns kept bringing up the concerns and and finally one of the elders said listen um this is who we are as a church. This is who we are as a church. We're going we're gonna to reach out to our neighborhood. We're going to invite these guys because they need to hear the gospel. This is who we are. And, and, if, and if you're not comfortable with that, you know, maybe, maybe you need to go to another church and that's fine and we'll bless you with that. But, but this is who we are. And I, I, think, I think as leaders kind of sticking in the mission and saying, okay, this, this is who we are. This is the direction that we're going. We're going to be a church that is evangelistic, that's reaching out to our neighborhood, whatever our neighborhood looks like. We're going to reach out to them. That's who we are. I think keeping that central and sticking with it is is the best thing you can do to kind of keep everybody moving in the right direction. Very well said. And um, <clears throat> what you're saying there reminds me we're both uh, graduates of Harding and, and love Harding and both friends with uh, Dr. Bruce McClarty, who uh, was the most recent president of Harding, his dissertation spoke to that effect um, and kind of was the theme of his presidency of embracing the mission of Harding University. And, and he did a fascinating study on that, kind of what you're saying, but kind of targeted it toward Christian universities and Christian education. As long as a university keeps its mission at its core, it not only survives, but it thrives. But so many of our colleges in the United States began as Christian institutions, but lost that mission. And because of that, now no longer have any Christian ties whatsoever. And I think that also speaks to the church setting. When churches lose right. their mission, they fall apart. If they embrace their mission and hang on to their mission, um, they weather very difficult storms. And Southside, man, 1892 has certainly weathered some storms, but it's clear that maybe the mission changed through the years, but whatever the mission was at the time, they embraced the mission. So if church leaders are listening to this from different parts of the country, because you'll be the first to admit not every church has, um, you know, your demographic and not every church should do what Southside has done. But if a church does decide, hey, we want to be more missional in our community, um, very brief, if you can, kind of what's the first step, first thing they need to think about to that end? Yeah. You know, I, the way I, I think I want to answer this question is is with uh, Scripture, Acts uh, 17. Um, you know, when Paul went into Athens, um, he came with an evangelistic spirit wanting to evangelize Athens. And what was the first thing that he did? You know, when he went into Athens, well, it wasn't that he started passing out tracks or <laughs> brochures or, or <laughs> knocking on doors or, you know, things of that nature. No, the first thing he did was he just observed. Uh-huh. He just walked around and he observed 
the the city and he walked around and, and, and saw the the temples and the idols and and that that did two things within Paul in Acts 17. Number one, it, it provoked his spirit. You know, he he became very concerned because he saw how they were just really going off into idolatry. And so that that actually motivated him. It gave him a passion to try to uh, engage that city. And then number two, um, it, it it showed him the entryway. And so when he stood and and preached at the Areopagus, he said, "You know, as I've been walking around, I've noticed you have a, a temple to an unknown god, and what you what you worship that you don't know. Let me let me explain that to you." So he found the entry point by which he could then begin to um, proclaim the gospel. And so that that's what I would tell folks is. Um, leaders, you know, if you, if you want to start engaging your city, evangelizing your city, uh, first step is to get to know it. You know, walk around, discern, observe, uh, understand your city. Uh, we, I took our our staff, ministry staff, um, just recently on a on a tour tour of Fort Worth, and we looked at all of the all of the places of brokenness in our city. We we walked. There's a place in Fort Worth. Um, that at one time was called Hell's Half Acre. And it was a place where just all kinds of bad things happened. This was back in the in the 1900s when when cowboys would come through the Fort Worth on the Chisholm Trail. And, and we just we just went and stood there. And we read the history about that and realized, OK, there was a lot of brokenness that happened in this place. And, and we went around to different places. Um, we went to the the place where Atiana Jefferson was shot by a police officer, and, you know, just just try to understand, okay, where's our city broken, and 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 where does it need the healing hand of Jesus Christ? So, I mean, that that's one thing that I would encourage preachers to do is, is get to know their city, discern, engage, um, try to understand where where your city is broken, and and how maybe you can bring the healing power of Jesus. And then, in terms of kind of crafting a vision, I, I always kind of like to to point to three key, uh, an intersection of three key points. So, you know, one one key point is discerning the city and kind of understanding where the city is broken. The second key point is scripture. So, what what does scripture call us to? What is the mission of God that we are invited to participate in? And then number number three is who are we as a church? What are we gifted at? What is our passion? What? How can we join God in his mission? And so if you take those three ideas, there's going to be an intersection point. There's going to be a place where you can say, aha, there's there's an area in our city right here where there's brokenness, where we feel a call from scripture to do something about it, and where we've got the resources to be engaged in that. And that's that's where you find the vision to motivate the people to be a part of. Okay, so much good stuff in there, and I couldn't even begin to comment on all of it. But a couple of things that really stood out, and last thing you said, it's most recent on my mind, so I'll say it now. I love what you said about churches figuring out where they are gifted and how they should use their giftedness. Um, for those listening and they're not real familiar with Dallas-Fort Worth, Steve is over at Southside in Fort Worth. I'm at Preston Crest in North Dallas. There's about a 50-mile gap uh, between us. Dallas and Fort Worth are two completely different cities, even though they're in the same metroplex. Um, North Dallas is even more different than South Fort Worth. Um, so like what you're saying there, just because Southside has an excellent food pantry 
and ministry with the Salvation Army across the street. It doesn't mean that Preston Crest needs to do a food pantry just because Southside is doing one. Preston Crest may be gifted in another area with another different uh, set of opportunities. And when we try to approach ministry with this one size fits all mentality, it doesn't work. It doesn't work in preaching. That's one thing we were both taught uh, learning to preach is you figure out what your style is. If you try to be another preacher, you're not going to be as effective. Just be Steve. Uh, yeah. Just be Jacob. And <laughs> Steve has a very different style in the pulpit than Jacob has in the pulpit. And uh, my fiance, by the way, I'm her second favorite preacher. You're her favorite preacher. So <laughs> there, uh, there, <laughs> there's that, by the way. But, you know, churches need to figure out what, what they're good at, where they're gifted, and, and thrive there. Secondly, what you said at the beginning, um, learning your community before you engage in ministry. It sounds a lot like what James says at the end of James chapter one, uh, be slow to speak, but quick to listen. Mm-hmm. We need to hear what our communities need before we try to fill those needs. And I think a lot of churches with good intentions are trying to answer questions that people aren't asking and meet needs that they don't have because they're not taking the time to observe and, and listen. And so mm-hmm. really appreciate what you said there. Okay, um, I've been asking everyone this question in this series. Uh, In a few words, Steve, evangelism is, and then evangelism is not. Okay, well, I'm going to answer that in a certain way, and then I'm going to explain my answer. Um, So evangelism is not some kind of program that we develop that we just kind of work. Um, evangelism is blessing people. Mm. And I, and I answer it that way because, um, Reggie McNeil in one of his books, he said, churches don't need evangelism strategies. They need blessing strategies. Mm. And, and I, and that's become a part of, of who I am. And, and that's been a part of our strategy, so to speak at Southside is that we just want to bless our neighborhood. And so, you know, we're going to, we're going to give you food. We're going to give you clothes. We're going to give you school supplies. We're going to give you turkeys at Thanksgiving and we're going to give you toys at Christmas. And we're going to, going to, you know, if you need help with rent paid or, or you need bill paid, you know, you can come to us. We're going to help you with that. Um, if you need help with addiction, you can come to us. We're going to mentor your children in local schools. We're going we're to do all these things to try to bless our neighborhood with the, with the hope that at some point someone's going to say, you know, those people, they are really loving. And I want to know why they're so loving. And, and Jacob, um, that, that happened, that, that specifically happened just uh, uh, about a year ago or so. We had somebody call our church office and they said, and they called saying, can I, can I come to church there? (laughs) I mean, when was the last time someone called a church office? Ask them for permission. (laughs) I mean, normally we're, we're trying to invite people, you know, they're like, I'm calling because I want to know what time church is because I, can I come there? And, uh, and we're like, well, absolutely you can come to church here, you know, and there's a time. And so, uh, so this lady started coming to our church and, you know, get to know her and her story. And she said, she said, yes, her daughter was telling her that she, that her daughter wanted to go to church, wanted to find a church. And so she thought to call us. And I said, well, like, why? why did you call Southside Church of Christ? 
She said, well, about four or five years ago, I was going through some financial difficulty and, and y'all had a school supply store and I came up there and I got school supplies and man, it just really helped us. We were just really blessed by that. And I've always remembered it. And so when my daughter said, we need to find a church, I knew to call Southside Church of Christ. Amen. And uh, eventually she was baptized into Christ. Uh, her uh, fiance was baptized into Christ. I did their wedding and now they're a part of our church. And so, you know, I, that, that's been our approach mm. is we're, we're, we're going to bless people because eventually when they're blessed, they're going to start asking questions and then we can tell them about Jesus. That's great. Uh, kind of back to that thing that churches make the mistake of saying often, if we build it, they'll come. That, that may not always be true, but if you, if you give it, they'll probably come. That's right. Um, that doesn't mean that you'll have a lot of people who take and don't come. Uh, Jesus speaks of that in his parable, talking about scattering seed. There's right. a lot more seed uh, that doesn't take root than there is that does. But those that do take root, they're there for the long haul. That's right. Wonderful, Steve. Well, thank you for joining us today. Um, I'll go ahead and ask that last question because I want to hear your answer. But I think I know what you're going to say. But what's your hope for Southside in the next five years? Well, I, I'll say two things. Um, number one, to stay in the mission, you know, to stay committed to the mission of God. You know, we, we talk about our vision is to be a church of mission, mercy, and transformation, a place where every, every person is a missionary, where every person is welcome and loved and shown mercy, and then where every person is experiencing life change in their life. And, and I hope Southside just stays true to that. And, and however that, uh, develops and cultivates. Um, you know, we just want to follow the spirit's lead on that. I'll, I will add, though, a second thing that um, I mentioned to you earlier. We're, we are doing a building remodel, and we're um, the primary thing that we're doing in that is we're, we're redoing our children's ministry area. And 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 one of our one of the reasons for that is because we we want to make room for children at our church. And, and we just feel like that's a, that's a, a big part of being missionaries is, is making room for children. And so, and that, that's part of that is uh, teaching Sunday school and, and, and Bible classes. But uh, we have plans for that area to be used year round every day. And, and so I, I hope, you know, just in terms of ministry, I hope that that comes to fruition um, to where we can really uh, welcome children so that they can know uh, Jesus and and be a part of his calling for their life. So you guys aren't turned off by crying babies then, doesn't sound like. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not. Good for we you. love crying babies. Good for you. That's, yeah, it's the sound of the future. All right, Steve, thank you for joining us, and uh, we wish you the best in your ministry. We're so thankful for the Southside Church, and for those listening today, thank you for tuning in uh, we have enjoyed this month-long series on evangelism, and I want to remind you, as always, to keep your eyes on heaven. And there will be road work along the way, but here at Road Talk, we want to help you get ready and navigate your journey. God bless, and we will talk to you next time.